out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Indeed. Hello and welcome. This is David Eastall. This is the C86 Show. As you know, we love a special guest. This week, it's going to be the turn of the Dutch bass band Clan of Zymix, because I recently spoke to their lead man, Ronnie Morins, very recently, to find out more about life, love, poetry, and all that other groovy stuff. Anyway, this is the interview. Kind of chat, really. Um, yeah, so after several minutes, we, we got to know each other. As you do, it's showbiz. We cut that bit out. We got down to the very exciting subject. There was kind of a new release and single and album that's uh, coming out very soon, if not almost out at the moment. Plus, a um, the John Peel sessions are being... Uh, released as well. I think this is on Dark Entry Records, but I won't spoil too much because we're going to talk about that during this very interesting interview. Anyway, look, so this is it. Ronnie, tell us more about the latest single and um, releases that are coming up this year. Pay attention, make notes. I will test you at the end just to make sure you're listening. Ronnie, it's over to you. Uh, it's lined up to be uh, for the 7th of May. It's coming out. And uh, the, the lead title is uh, Brave New World. And the B-side is called Lockdown. So <laughs> you can guess where I get my inspiration from. Yes, absolutely. And how's it been, you know, the past year as, a, as an artist? Because obviously a lot of people I spoke to said, you know, they always said, oh, I wish I could have more time to sit here and record and write and create. And then suddenly... Voila, you know, they have the opportunity and then it's like, mm, didn't, didn't sort of feel quite so good. So how, do, how have you managed to cope in, in this period? I think I put all my things into this new album, basically. So that's the only way for me to, to stay sane during this period, because there's a lot of issues uh, we've been confronted uh, with uh, for the last year and all the madness around us and you try to kind of like make sense out of it and uh, for me there was no really a reason to make a new album because i just released one yeah so it's like most time you release an album and you take it to the on the road and uh, live with that album for two three years and then you'll start thinking about something new in this case uh, everything got topsy-turvy and um i needed you know, like with music, uh, you need to vent something, and this the way I did it, and uh, just by putting things into uh, in songs. Yes, absolutely. Because the last album you did, which was, was this, was Spider on the Wall, wasn't it? Which you correct just brought yes. out. So, because there was a there was a couple of artists who I spoke to who had the year before had done the album, they did the touring, so they had planned that 2020 was going to be the year that they were going to be recovering. But for you, you had timed it so that your album came out during that period, which must have felt quite strange in the sense of this kind of build-up and then going, yeah. actually, because before that, it had been Days of Black, which came out sort of 2017, yeah. hadn't it? So, yeah. you know, obviously you, you were on, for the last decade, you've been on a quite a nice little pattern, haven't you, of recording? Yeah. Exactly. I prefer to release an album every two or three years just to uh, not to overfeed anyone, basically, uh, you know, that otherwise I'm, I would be afraid people get bored with Clan of Zymox or so. And you have some time to, to, to learn the songs um, live as well. And people just get to, to know the songs a bit better. 
Um, but yeah, uh, with Spider on the Wall, when that came out, we were actually just right into the middle of the of the tour. Uh, we were in the USA and we had to break off uh, the tour like half halfway. We were in Houston at the time, and uh, I decided, well, we have to go home because like all the airports was uh, shutting down, and I could not see myself with the whole band sitting in America till indefinite. <laughs> that would be very bizarre or very expensive or or both or anything but i would just wanted to go back and uh, so we broke off tour and uh, of course there was the next day that was all not possible to play anywhere anymore and we yeah. had the la- actually literally the last flight to europe to berlin wow <laughs> there, was not, yeah, there were not even uh, border checks or anything we just bought uh and in when we landed in berlin no one cared this <laughs> Go on. <laughs> yes, it was like a bit of a Hollywood film, really, wasn't it? At that, that point, you know, you can imagine sort of, you know, being able to write a script about this, the band that got stuck at the airport and never left, and that's kind of one film, and the other one, the, almost like the Berlin airlift of 1950 or 40. Yeah, I'm actually surprised that there are not, not really good uh, films out there yet. You know, we had the years, so there's lots of material there. Yeah, kind of build build something really spectacular on that, but uh, maybe we will have to wait a bit longer. I would um, imagine there will there will be a sort of a period. So when you started recording yeah. for the new album coming out, that you yeah. you've got the single and then the album. When did you sort of sit down and start processing and start sort of putting things together for that? It was actually overlapping because uh, we were still releasing singles off the album uh, during the Corona period. So we had like, uh, I think the single She was uh, released in January or February. And uh, so that was the pre-Corona. So only something happened in China, then, but we, no one thought this would be a, a world event. Uh, we had a second single. Uh, lovers a bit later and the third single that was like already then definitely uh corona times and i had to write some b-sides for it because you know a single needs a b-side or yes. so i was actually writing some new things because uh, i had nothing better to do than than that and so I'd, i started with like the COVID 19 kind of like instrumental track i actually did it with my daughter just for fun and uh, made a little film with it and um, after that uh, a track dystopia became uh, a song and uh, how long became also a song these are for me the uh, the the covid tracks basically and uh, they might even find a space on the new album because it all fits together and so it's it's almost overlapping now so it's like uh, uh, i will first release some singles uh, for this new album so you get more the idea of like it's also in the vein of like, like what we did with the uh the previous singles like uh, bands making remixes and have b-sides and have a bit of fun with it and uh, i made two videos also for lockdown and brave new world will also come out on the seventh uh, on youtube right because you know we'll have a look yeah yeah so you've got the single above which has been worked with um is it lesson seven that's that's kind of worked or remixed this yeah yeah like also that's what i did a lot as well like remixing uh, uh, music for bands um, just to keep yourself uh, well i can't say keep you off the street because you were (laughs) supposed to be on the street although it uh, it wasn't that bad as in uh, england uh, the uh, 
uh, even they call it here lockdown in in Germany. I've never really saw a lockdown from anything, but that you could not go to restaurants or bars or cafes or anything fun was not being possible anymore. But you could just uh, walk on the street and uh, without a mask and go to a park and or do your sports or whatever. So I've been yes. uh, actually doing a lot of exercising myself, like sports. To, <laughs> you know, what else do you do? You need to release yes. some energy and stay healthy. You know, you can't sit inside uh, behind the screen either. No, well, I, th I think a few people have got, have become super fit during this period. I noticed um, <laughs> a few people have posted up. There was Alan McGee from Creation Records who walked, well, started walking five hours a day, and he's lost so much weight in the last twelve mm. months. You can't recognise him, so that's mm. been quite interesting. So, has has this period then, which is kind of just curious, have you found that more people are listening to the music and are potentially buying? you know your albums i know you've got a john peel compilation that has a collection has come out and i just wondered yeah. because we're all sort of slightly at home initially it was great fun you know the first let's face it two months was brilliant we had good weather in the uk we were all really happy we've all gone a bit mm. mental now and feral <laughs> so it's not so much fun at all and i kind of find that mm. everyone's become a bit odd including mm. myself we can't do empathy mm. empathy's gone and having to listen to other people is just kind of quite hard work because we've just started <laughs> talking to ourselves in the house all the time. So I just wondered if you find, you know, more people kind of connecting with you and you've sort of kind of noticed more listens or more record sales. I think, well, first of all, what you said, people have more time. They sit at home. Uh, possibly, uh, that's what I did in the beginning as well. I was like... Uh, I thought, okay, I'm going to use this period now uh, to sort out things. You know, like your 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 videos, your your photos. You okay. never really like uh, went through because digital photos. You you have more photos than you can actually muster. So you had like time for that. So I basically first start organizing uh, things which you always were on your list to do, but you never did. And you thought, oh, okay, you'll. Uh, that will take me a while and then you'll do other things. But I think also what people might do who are interested in music is going maybe back into the history or uh, discover more bands because they just have time to, uh, to do that, basically. They don't have to rush uh, uh, to, to their jobs. Uh, you know, actually, all the creative people are at home. Yes. Um, and creative people like to listen to music. And therefore, I mean, I do the same. I'm trying to discover new bands. And uh, when I actually have time, I still, I don't know why, but I still don't have enough time for anything, uh, even though we're sitting here at home. But it's, to me, the only thing what's, what's taken away is the, li the live shows, of course. And the rest, I do same what I always do. And, but yeah, uh, although... I still have more time, but if I go on tour, I also have a lot of time. You sit in the van, in an airplane, you also like uh, do things there. You yes. know, you're not just sitting there with your eyes closed or whatever. So um, in that perspective, I noticed I did not gain that, that much more time for anything. But uh, yeah, still trying. But I, my philosophy is maybe other people would have more time on their hands who are not uh, writing albums or so <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and listen to, to other music. Or, and I think in uh, with Spotify, for example, you get like uh, suggestions or with YouTube, you get suggestions. But yes. you listen to this, maybe you should listen to that. And uh, people get steered also then in our direction in, in some way. So in that way, you get to also to expand on your fan base. And uh, yeah, 
that's yeah, my well, little explanation. Well, I, I, I did notice, and I suppose you would have might have noticed on various whatever social media platform sites you look at, um, you know, there were periods where, you know, you could tell that everyone had gone into their attic and had sort of gone through their memorabilia and were like, oh, do you want to see these posters of my gigs from, you know, 30 years ago? And then suddenly mm -hmm. everybody's gone into their attic and is finding these photographs, which have been great, yeah. you know, but then that period goes and then there's another period. And, and I think just during the winter, there, there was definitely a sense of, everyone's starting to rock back and forward feeling a bit like jack nicholson in the shine and thinking, <laughs> yeah. this is just this is this has been fun but this is now getting mm. really tedious and we just would like to have something real to look forward to rather than just going to the dentist or hoping the head yeah. might be open or getting your vaccine i suppose so that's that's quite interesting but with the john mm. peel sessions that came out and and you did quite a few with john peel was that a project that had been in the pipe <clears throat> pipeline for a little bit of time I think uh, with the Peel sessions, there were like actually just two uh, Peel sessions, like one, uh, uh, I think uh, three songs we had to do per session. Um, it was like combined with uh, shows we were doing in England. Uh, so 4AD basically arranged it with, uh, uh, with the BBC, uh, or the BBC invited us and they arranged some gigs. I, I'm not quite sure which order it was, but anyway, we were there doing shows and the BBC uh, John Peel thing. And yeah, it was like, uh, not, of course, the greatest honor to do that because John Peel was uh, the uh, DJ in England. Uh, if you were invited for him, that was like a total honor. I mean, I, I remember also interviews giving in, in Holland. They said like, well, how the hell did you get to John Peel? <laughs> yeah, so, so that was like quite a big thing in at the time. And uh, it seems like people still picking up on that, the, on the Peel sessions that they are, you know, not little gems or hidden gems. And uh, this label uh, in America, basically, he uh, got got the, the license from uh, BBC to uh, to bring it out uh, as a vinyl. Uh, yes, so is that, that, is great. that dark? Yeah. Is that Dark Entries? That's Dark Entries, correct, yes. Yes, yeah. I, I sort of just came across him quite recently. And um, yeah, I just noticed this package because uh, there was another person who's never run a record label before and decided mm. last year, because he didn't have anything else, to start a record label, you know, um, just bringing out John Peel no. sessions. So he's brought out the BMX Bandits and the Jasmine Minks. He's obviously into Scottish indie pop from 1983 to 85. But I think he's expanded, you know, but he did it. I did an interview with him and he explained the process so it's quite interesting i mean mostly people can get those sessions there is one band that has mm. had problems though so that must have been you know because most people who do a john peel session and i always read the comments underneath it and they go oh these were better than the studio ones that they put on the album so it is quite nice for the fan to actually eventually get mm. hold of them rather than go on youtube and listen to um listen to something that's better than nothing but not amazing mm. so did you put much work or did the guy from dark entries put much work into the um packaging oh you're for, for the packaging oh you yes yeah you too uh yes uh i supplied with some photos and uh i think he just took my little story of uh, uh of my side of uh what what we did uh we had it on cd already released uh in 2000 something 2001 maybe i can't really remember it was like an on cd already available so that same kind of packaging uh he emulated and he got 
um, the bass player to to uh, get her story about how uh, her experiences were there, which I can't concur that really happened. What she said. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about I, uh, creating. It's all about the ownership yeah. of the narrative, isn't it? Really, because yeah, one absolutely. thing I have noticed that there is a pass in the time, normally between twenty-five to thirty years, where I think things happen. You know, we do it. And then we just get on with the rest of our lives. And then there's been a time of reflection. I noticed that the 80s, that had been pretty well ignored, especially the indie world or the goth world. I don't know which one you work in, actually. Um, I'm sure everyone hates to be put in a category, don't they? But, they, 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 you know, there's been films on, you know, like The Nightingales, Rob Lloyd of The Nightingales that came out actually quite recently. And then there was one on The Chills, The Go-Betweens. Even uh, The Wedding Present did one on George Best. Somebody said, oh, well, I've got a great idea on this really obscure yeah. album from 1987. And the, and the Dolly Mixtures as well, this three-piece uh, women's kind of post-punk band as well. So, so there is this kind of interest of, I think when things happen, you know, we do just assume this is it. And then you realise that, that that you don't sometimes get to appreciate something until you can look back. And I hate the idea of nostalgia and rose-tinted mm. sunglasses, but I could, I do realise the 80s is getting a lot more kind of, uh, I suppose, analysed. And there's been like about four or five really good sort of photographic books that have come out that people have brought out who who obviously took photographs of Texas, the Texas punk scene or the Boston music scene or New mm. York. And there's been, you know, books on fanzines from the 80s. And this has all kind of happened in the last like couple of years. So it is it's a great opportunity, especially with these John Peel sessions, for people to to bring them out. And with, with that in mind, how many copies do normally people print up or press up to, to sort of sell? I have no idea, to be honest, but I think for vinyl, uh, I'm sure between 500 and 2000, but no more. Yes. So it's, it's like, it's a very limited edition. And uh, I know the, um, this Dark Entries, he did also uh, subsequent pleasures, which was uh, my own first EP, basically, which I brought out on my own label. So basically, he, they also reprinted that. Um, so in a way, it's also funny that now labels are, like you said, like uh, guys who start to become a, re a record label and they're taking these uh, vinyls and releasing them in the same manner as I did. In, also in the early 80s, I just printed 500, I sold them and that was it. Yeah, like I was happy about that. Yes. And, it, and, it, that was, uh, and after that, of course, the CD came very quickly in, into the picture and no one really cared about vinyl that much but it had a it made a big comeback now it's now it's like you know people like to see the artwork we also release uh, on a regular basis the vinyl uh, editions or including with 12 inches not the label uh, the band itself but the labels uh, especially in the, the label we have in 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 germany trizol they they really care about the packaging so so that's why i like it that they actually care about also releasing some vinyl and that, i think it's great it's like these two mediums but to me vinyl is more to look at and i still prefer listening to a, a digital uh, recording my god don't tell that to neil young if you bump into him he's <laughs> I must admit, I'm the same. I really, I don't know, I have an irrational feeling of just wanting to buy the Ziggy Stardust album because I've always loved mm -hmm. David Bowie and I don't want yeah. to play it. I just want to sort of have the kind of, you know, the, the, the uh, item, which is, is um, 
you shouldn't really admit that, but um, I'm just a consumer at heart. So look, during the, you know, during that very early period where you got together, because I'm, you know, I was born 64, I'm now in my sort of just born mid 50s. So growing up, you know, there was the kind of glam period that I was watching yeah. when I was quite young on Top of the Pops, which we obviously watched. And then there was the top 40 on a Sunday evening. And there was, you know, Gary Glitter, the, this, you know, sweet Slade, T-Rex. Thankfully, David Bowie was my first love. It could yeah. be Gary Glitter because I wanted to be in his gang so badly but mm. thankfully I avoided that one <laughs> little bit <did we> <laughs> yeah. but then you know we also thought that Jimmy as in was it Jimmy Savile was going to fix it for us but right. thankfully I didn't go on that show either so um, <laughs> the 70s on the BBC I know that's uh, yeah. that's a whole nother story isn't it so luckily you know Bowie's mm. you know Space Oddity and the B-side had changes and Velvet Goldmine which I thought B-sides were really amazing but from then on mm. it's always been a bit downhill so what was your kind of moment where you saw something that really turned you know like turned you on and you thought oh this is exciting well you just mentioned all those bands from <laughs> my childhood really I I had all of the, those uh, artist albums or singles which, which they were releasing and from there on, really, um, uh, I think you yeah, just had uh, less artists than you have now. So it was the choice were also easier because the only thing what you knew was what, what's, what was in the charts and nothing else, really. Then you had like these pirate radios coming up, like Veronica, North Sea, uh, pirate stations. They played a bit more obscure uh, music. But uh, in, in general, uh, we were totally dependent on the uh, top of the pops. And uh, I was glued to the TV every week just to see uh, what's new, you know. So like, yes. uh, that was the exciting thing. And uh, we didn't think uh, too much about it, that it was commercial to me. There were a lot of bands there, which, which uh, sounded uh, totally authentic to me. Um, and, uh, and they still do. So I don't really still, maybe I'm... A, biased with that because it was my childhood these were my childhood bands just the same and um but that, yeah so what is, it, what is interesting most, yeah. most of those bands have got quite a backstory i mean where we see mm. we, we we see them in the top 20 or the top 10 or whatever i mean they'd spent 10 years kind of going nowhere fast you know including you know i mean i love david bowie and luckily you know, he was my first love. I stuck with him right through to Black Star and, and you know, all the tricky albums, you know, because you just have to. Um, but then, you know, his 60s work, you know, you think, wow, that's that's pretty dreadful, but kind of interesting at the same time. You know, and, and all those artists had, had, had been banging around, like Mark Bolan had done all his stuff in the, the early, you know, 60s with John Peel on the Perfume Garden and doing all these kind of quirky mystic songs and you know some rather exciting mm -hmm. poetry which we obviously pretend to love and understand but we don't really unless you smoke lots of drugs and then you know so <laughs> so actually they didn't just go oh I'm going to be on the X Factor if I don't win it that's my career gone I mean they they formed a band they toured they broke up they formed another band they toured they broke up and then one day they were oh bloody hell you know we've written a great single this is great you know so they don't they all have quite a, a backstory you know I think mm -hmm. even Gary Glitter was knocking around for most of the 60s and and people like you know uh, yeah I mean they they all they were all around playing music from the age of 15 when they'd left school as you know mm -hmm. delinquent young runaways really but <laughs> but bizarrely i did have a brother who was seven years old and he was really into prog rock and i was fascinated with this this world because it was just kind of a forbidding place i shouldn't go in his room and listen to his records so i went into his room and listened to his records and one of them and everyone you must hate this question but one of them that he had was focus at the rainbow and that was they were a dutch band weren't they 
Yeah, absolutely. That was also one of my favorite bands. Like, yes, uh, in, including uh, with golden earring and shocking blue, and I think uh, yeah, like quite a bit. Uh, as started the later, you start to get the more the the wave bands like Urban Heroes. I think what I can remember, um, or or yeah, some some uh, there were a lot of bands sliding also in into these eighties the wave and. Uh, uh, Meccano is a good example. That was still one of my favorite bands. Uh, not the Meccano from Spain, but the Meccano from Amsterdam. Yeah, and but then they, obviously, because there was the whole, you know, in, in the UK, you know, 79, Thatcher gets in, 80, you know, Reagan's in. You know, there's this huge kind of political mm. shift, you know, <laughs> you know, to the right again. And, um, and so we have mm. a lot of unemployment in this country. And, you know, there's the squatting movement and sort of anarcho-punk stuff. Um, and so you had the post-punk period, you know, and then you had those kind of other bands like Conflict and um, my mind's gone blank now. But then there's all those, <laughs> there's those kind of anarcho rock bands, which are quite loud, oh, crass and people like that. But you had the X, didn't you, which were this kind of, even if you didn't yeah. like them, you had to pretend you liked them, a bit like crass really. Um, they, they were the squatting, the squatters uh, band kind of thing. The like the, the squatters, <laughs> like, like the, the left wing uh, favorites uh, of Holland at the time. And they were a very political uh, motivated band, yeah. Uh, yeah, like I think in the Belgium, the Brussels or something, uh, Ziglo XX. Yeah, that was also a, kind of one of those bands. Yeah, you you know, there was a lot of things going on there. Uh, yes. I, at the time, was also like uh, occupying houses, but it never reflected in my music then. No. So what was your kind of late 70s and early 80s period? What were you sort of fumbling around doing at that stage? Before. I was actually just uh, like a boring student. I was uh, studying sociology, uh, media studies at the university in Nijmegen and Amsterdam. And at that same time, uh, I was like fiddling about with my four track recorder and writing songs at night. And uh, that became kind of like my interest in making music. But I, I always made music when I was a kid. So I always, I was from on. Um, when I was 11, I was playing local bands and we actually got paid for, for our shows uh, from local uh, youth clubs and things like that. So I, I did know that I wanted to have a band or always played in the band. Like someone, someone else went to football, I played in bands in, in the weekends and I always enjoyed that. But uh, my role was in, in when I was 11, I was, uh, was just a guitar player, you know, the, and not the solo player, but the, the rhythm guitar yeah. player. So very simple. So I started like that so into the music because I only knew a few chords. And uh, from there on, I expanded a bit and later bought myself a keyboard and tried to play a bit of keyboards and then combine these two. And I actually, from there on, it's actually still the blueprint of Kleinos uh, Iron. It's like the keyboards and the guitars are kind of um, coexisting in, in tracks most of the time. And I, that's the way I like it. The, so did you hear a particular band at that stage that sort of made you sort of realize oh that's that's kind of the direction we got we can go in because there was obviously you know there was quite a scene had started it was at the back cave and um is it oh god i've got the book here actually there's another one of those great mm -hmm. clubs so look alice in wonderland i think that was more of a, a psychedelic mm -hmm. scene that was happening in the early 80s which was mm -hmm. doctor and the med medics was sort of particularly involved with so were you kind of aware of that kind of like bands like the cure that had started and susan absolutely 
absolutely uh, i came into these bands uh, through i think you had the pretenders and the motels and uh, you had these more like the commercials going into the into the new wave and from there on uh, the cure got uh, the hit singles uh, together with bowie or uh, depeche mode and uh, later on the sisters of mercy and all the other bands were actually made it into the charts and there was still like that kind of top of the pops uh, awareness like you these bands were playing on top of pops and these bands uh, appealed to me and uh, to other people and that made the whole wave scene uh, even bigger and more bands tried to be in that kind of scene because this was the days that you did everything yourself you could release your own uh, record you could actually there were facilities about that you could actually like what i had a four track record you could actually start experimenting with music and actually uh, from from beginning till end produce your music and and release it uh, on your in your own terms and that's what i tried to do as well so and all these bands were totally inspirational just to uh, to do things like that because they didn't sound like the 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 soul music which was uh, kind of like uh, charting uh, most of the time. So you have like the sporadic uh, wave bands there. Yeah. And the charts or Gary Newman, uh, of course, uh, oh, God, the yes. Tube yeah. Army. There was earlier, yeah, that also blew me away. So all this, this kind of like, uh, yeah, bands with uh, using synthesizers basically and guitars that uh, appealed to me a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Because also there was kind of those amazing chiseled, chiseled cheeks of uh, Pete Murphy and Bauhaus, which was like, you know, brilliant. And then he went and did a collaboration with, was it Mick Kahn and did De Della's car, Delia's car? Yeah, One of those. Dali's car. Dali's car. Dali from Dali, Dali. yeah. Yes, the artist, probably, wasn't it? I do sound like Anne Partridge now, don't I? Um, <laughs> getting things slightly wrong. Yes, but then, you know, I remember Kristen Hirsch, who went into Throw Muses. I mean, she was there on the East Coast of America and one day, you know, get a phone call from this guy, Ivor, um, from 4AD and she thought it was a hoax and yep. just put the phone down and said there's a weird man how did 4AD hmm. sort of how did that sort of work because obviously as an indie kid in the 80s we bought the image but we also if a record came out on a certain label hmm. we just went for it because we thought it must be brilliant and it also made us look hmm. kind of slightly cool and enigmatic so so how did hmm. how did 4AD sort of come into your sphere and not you know, you know, there, there was other labels around at the time, I would imagine. Yes, but they didn't want me. <laughs> but, but what we, but uh, I think what happened was like I, I met in Nijmegen when I was like actually promoting my subsequent pleasure to uh, some, or I wanted to sell them to some record stores there. And uh, there was a, at, in the evening, there was a concert with the Cocteau Twins, and uh, I wanted to go there. I was in a restaurant just uh, having a bite, and uh, I heard two people talking English to each other. It's like a Nijmegen is not a common thing in the, in Holland. So I asked them, like, are you the Cocteau Twins? Yeah, like, so, and then I explained, now we are Dead Can Dance. We are playing with the Cocteau Twins. We are the sport band. And so I talked to them a bit they, uh, in the end. I mean, they were really nice people. So um, they put me on the guest list. And later on, I met Cocteau Twins and Dead Can Dance. I gave them the, the EP. And then later, I got Brandon to ask me if I uh, wanted to uh, support them in, a, in an English tour. So 
I think that was the connection to 4AD because then he told me a bit more about Ivo, how you know great label it was, and and, and I was kind of interested. Or I want well maybe should give the uh, an EP to uh, here have an EP for, <laughs> give it to Ivo when you see him next time. Yeah, so yeah, I thought that was it. I don't have to do anything more. Uh, then I later, actually, I did call Ivo. And he talked to me and he was interested. Uh, I sent him some new demos. And uh, from there on, he actually invited us over just to to, to get to know him, basically. So me and, at, at the time, the girlfriend, Enke, who played on the bass in, in my band, he, uh, we went over, stayed at the place for a couple of days, got, got to know each other a bit. And then we got actually ourselves the, the record deal with 4AD. So yeah, like, and how, how, and then, how come you 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 recorded that in uh, Edinburgh, which is quite an unusual uh, location? How did that sort of come about? It's uh, solely, of course, for this uh, thing because they had the house. It was Palladium Studios in the, in Edinburgh, uh, not exactly Edinburgh, but like a suburb of it. Yeah, um, they had a deal with the, the studio. Like there would be the the labels. Uh, studio to pre-record uh, or record uh, most of the things but uh, which were the most time-consuming things after that you would have all the rough mixes ready then you would take the rough mixes to london and go to the uh, blackwing studios and john fryer was the in-house uh, producer there and um, he i've worked then with uh, john fryer for on the remixes for example and we said just with with John Fryer trying to make the mixes in the end, uh, which was good. I mean, you know, John Fryer is a very talented uh, engineer. Yes. And, and so he uh, worked with a lot of famous bands like Depeche Mode also. Yes. And did you, and did you I mean, at that stage, because it's interesting, I've been listening for some random reason to to the he's the manager of the police and a huge amount of other bands and and did a record label irs miles copeland who was talking about the role of the manager and and it's to sort of give the band feedback and to and to sort of tell them you know if they haven't got a hit on the album to go and write a hit and not bother mm-hmm. release until they they have got such a a kind of a track to play i mean did you have a, a any management at that stage uh, I was the manager. <laughs> you were the manager. Did you, um, I mean, did I mean on that front? Did you, you know, as an artist, did you get much yeah. feedback of what you know? Because you start the track with, you know, a day, which is kind of nearly yeah. seven minutes, which is quite an ambitious little number for for an independent label that that you know most people want three minutes at the most. So I mean, I didn't know sort of how you sort of, you know, whether you got feedback from you know. The label we did we like yeah yeah it's like ivo uh, was in scotland also in the studio for a few days just to see if everything went right and if we actually could communicate uh, in scottish or yeah because <laughs> they were like the, he was there for a couple of days and he saw everything uh, was going smoothly in a kind of a way and uh, only we had to sack our drummer there uh, with the recordings because so we reverted back to the uh rhythm machine and programming it uh, because the timing was a bit off and it cost too much time to concentrate on drums only you know the rest of the music also had to be recorded we only had 10 days so we had to make a a tough decision uh, there not nice because he was a friend but we also had to be thinking about the band and the label (laughs) so that was kind of like a, a bit of a 
yeah, not that of a good start for for a band in the in the recording studio, but uh, it it all panned out in the end. Um, and he yeah. still talks to me, so don't worry. <laughs> My God, well, actually, that's the story that happens on the on the film of Wed the wedding present and George Best, where they had to sack the drummer and they had a problem with the producer. It was all to do with the click track. The click track is something. Yeah. That I think most drummers have a fear of, don't they? So when, when, as the 80s was progressing, it was kind of an interesting time because, you know, again, it's that, that sort of in the UK, especially, I know you're in, on, in Europe, but, but, you know, the music scene, you had the sort of the mainstream charts, which was kind of, you know, that Trevor Horn production. Then you had the indie charts, but things do mm. change so quickly. Did you quickly, you know, did you find an audience quite, you know, like, oh, right, you know, this is now our tribe and uh, and everything sort of clicked and, and sort of fitted into place quite quite smoothly. Well, it was possibly the alternative scene with, you know, the hairs uh, uh, back home. To, that was our scene everywhere, which was uh, dominating in the 80s, uh, the, the street anyway. So we got a lot of, of these fans everywhere on on uh, the world basically because wherever we went we had like a uh, full clubs and you know like talked about like between five and hundred and five thousand depending on which country you also went and for i i know in spain for example we had like a few club hits there with the day and stranger and you you we pulled easily ten thousand people in a in a disco just like in the middle of nowhere there's no problem Yes. So it's like, and then, like in London, I know we played in the London University, uh, which was also to us totally cool because there was like university where all the bands played, you know, like, uh, um, so we played there also quite a few times there. Um, and, and as an artist, how were you developing? Because this is quite quick, isn't it? You hadn't spent five years in sort of various blues bands and rock bands in the pub circuit. No. So you must have had to shift gear quite quickly did you ever feel like you know when you had the you had an ep and then the album did did you feel confident or did you think oh my god this is this is i'm faking it until i make it i'm not quite sure if i'm going to be found out i just wondered how you were feeling as an artist because you were already you know had sort of gone so quickly up the um i don't know league table yeah i was plodding along as and and improvising as we went because like like I said, I didn't have a manager, but I had like a feel from for you know from when I was a kid, uh, uh, or we played also live uh, in Holland, so I know what touring is like on a small scale, and it just got bigger and longer, and that's the difference, and and it hasn't changed whatsoever. Still, you know, we're still you know when we're allowed, we still tour all the time because um, I think uh, it's part of uh, our band that we'd like to play live and uh, like to uh, bring it live and I think that's uh, what I do the most uh, yeah the best actually also yeah uh, but but yeah it, it just grew into it it's not like there was shocked or anything I was more shocked that indeed like that uh, radios picked up on it or that we actually got into some charts but we never broke through it either we never got the top 40 uh, official single or whatever so we always were this cult band and um, in retrospect i think uh, this is the best position to be in because you don't have to prove anything you can do what you do and i also learned not to have too many people uh, around you 
concerning the ban because it only gets confusing. We had that situation in the in the nineties that we actually did get management and uh, uh, big touring productions and things, and that was actually uh, to me the worst period of uh, of the ban because. Uh, we got too many uh, pressure from from uh, too much pressure of of labels like to be a, a bit more commercial, you know, trying to get into that top forty and to work that you had to uh, go with this producer or that producer and yeah and so forth and so you had to like tons and tons of people all and lawyers and things like that and it's it's not my thing so it's like I so glad I could keep it simple like this now. Yeah, but on your, just going back slightly on the, the Twist of Shadows, this is one, mm-hmm. this is, is this the first album that isn't on 4AD? Yeah, we released, uh, uh, the last last thing I released actually on 4AD was the, the Scum EP, it's like Million Things, Blind Hearts and Scum, there were like three tracks. Right. Um, Blind Hearts got picked up actually in America um, by K-Rock uh, radio station. They played it in heavy rotation. Therefore, uh, American labels were interested to scoop us up as a as a, a new band, or they tried to uh, sign us. And in the meantime, we got uh, I got this phone call from Raymond Coffey. He did uh, Love and Rockets uh, management uh, right. at the time. He uh, very nice guy. So he's like he said like Why don't you, you know like uh, go to a major label? They can do more for you and like i did not know what else would be after uh, a label as 4ad it's like uh, you know uh, everyone tries to get as far with their band as possible in, in in their own terms so i thought we could do on our own terms uh, a further album somewhere else on the, on a major label and, and of course that worked uh, we released that album it uh, sold way more than on 4ad and we got the professional video with it and stuff like that so it's like everything was good at that time but then i think it's uh uh they wanted more out of the band than just like what we sold they of course a major label they want to have millions gazillions trillions of sales not like just say three hundred thousand or so that's yes no one's impressed with that i was impressed but yes absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> not, not a major label so they they we recorded still another album under these um, with the pressure like maybe we have to better this and that's i think that's where it, the fun stopped for me and the tours at the same time also the beginning of the 90s want to try something else with the music and different styles and and say goodbye to uh, the kind of the gotha wave scene uh, like any other band uh, did at the time so it's like we tried to look for something new and Tony, I had to realize also, like a couple of years took me to realize actually that that I should actually just stick to what I like the most and and not kind of be influenced with anything else. So I uh, made a fresh start in the 79, uh, 97, I mean. Yes, because it, well, it was yeah. an interesting period because I guess, you know, in this country we had Britpop, but then you had that whole rise of the Marilyn Manson kind of moment and and people like Jimmy Iovine who started to appear and there was there was a sort of real push for sort of kind of more I suppose global sales weren't they getting the producer and getting more shocking videos and 
I just wondered because I know, you know going back to this guy, uh, Miles Copeland, he said uh, as a manager, he looks at his bands as products and how he can get the most out of them, whether it's like mm-hmm. get your music into adverts, let's let's see if we can get you into a film, let's get you, you know, let's just sell as much. You know, he he's God, this is a horrible idea, but he said he looks at himself as a butcher, that he looks at this this kind of animal and thinks, right, we can sell the hoof for this, we can sell the liver for that, we can even sell everything, you know, and he, he looks at the artist in that way as well. And I just wondered if, you know, if you were having those kind of pressures from a major label of like, God, we're going to have to start, you know, becoming more shocking or we're going to have to start becoming a bit more yeah. odd. To, well, uh, not, not in a direct way. Oh, and Marilyn Manson, that was way behind uh, uh, after the, uh, I think I'm talking about the early, like 1991. So Marilyn Manson wasn't around then. Yeah, no. yeah I think he was still interviewing people then. <laughs> uh, yes. But, but like, uh, we did not really get in a verbal way pressure like you should do this and that but you you felt like you had to uh yeah expand on the album before and in the same time you're getting confused about your own uh past what you're doing or, or what your future is going to be that like you want to uh renew basically with every album you kind of want to reinvent yourself and so i think that reinventing uh was like in the in the ni- early 90s uh, a bit more uh difficult because you had like rave and of course that was very big at the time the rave the, you know the the shame and like move any mountain or things uh, records the like orb. that yes the orb. so yeah that was the 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 scene i felt we were heading into and i wanted to adapt my music in that way and um, yeah it was yeah didn't really work i think in in retrospect i mean there's still some nice song on the songs on the album uh nevertheless but uh I was looking, um, yeah, for myself basically at the time. Like, like you mentioned before, any artist is always looking for something or gets uh, in a strange period. And after that, I went into uh, trying to make some dance music with metamorphosis and head clouds and experimented with these, uh, with this kind of attitude until, uh, like, that was like till '93. Then I took a little small break from touring. Uh, in 95 I picked up touring again and then I start to notice that yeah well maybe I should not really alter the older classics into a, a more modern version and actually stick to these recordings as they were and uh, or to, to the compositions as they were and started writing new music and then we got like the Hidden Faces album and from there on actually got got more my sense of direction Although I always tried to get some other components in there to, to um, you know, I just don't want to make just old-fashioned music. I just want to get something which appeals to me and put that also into the music. But like with this kind of attitudes, uh, it worked better. And I think I got my uh, direction the best with uh, Spider on the Wall or, or the Days of, uh, or Matters of... Uh, Whatever. Yes. <laughs> now <laughs> <Thank> I'm blinking, <laughs> blinking yeah. out of my own title here. I know. Um, you have to look at. You have to Google it, won't you? But um, <laughs> so head head clouds was the one that came out in the sort of oh that was ninety three and then it was hidden yeah. faces ninety seven. So by creatures, 
99 this is did you say this is where you're sort of feeling much more confident with your, your own what you want to you know where you want to head for and exactly yeah the start with the hidden phase gave kind of like me push in my own direction but then i thought with creatures i found something what i wanted to explore more and i was like okay and in those days already then you had marilyn manson indeed uh, very prevalent uh, on the tv but of course, that had nothing to do with me. I met him though, <laughs> Amsterdam a few times. When he's yes. playing shows for also like like two hundred people, you know, he's seen uh, great bands in Amsterdam for with very little people. Uh, so, and yeah, and it, well, it's, they, well, it's interesting, they, I suppose, because I know yeah. there's a, this story about the police who used to sort yeah. of you know just hang around and play any gigs that they could during the punk mm -hmm. London period. And um, you know, and they back, you know, they also two of the members were back in band for Cherry Vanilla, and then they did a small tour of America, really small, and they found themselves playing in front of four people, and it was like, mm -hmm. right, guys, you're still going to have to go and do this gig, you know, for four people. But one of those people turned out to be quite influential because they were they did sort of I don't know a local college radio station that sort of played it quite a bit, and then you know someone from A and R, you know, Jerry Moss picked up, and then suddenly they were. Mm -hmm. You know, if it wasn't for that gig with four people, the police would have never happened. And some yeah. people might have said that's a good thing, but it's it's the point is that you know you do sometimes still have to 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 pull it together, even if you're thinking there's four people in this audience. This is more of a rehearsal than a gig, isn't it? But um, you know, but I used I, to be a fan of them in the seventies. Uh, well, we all like we all love. Gatta de Blanc, really, let's face it, because yeah. we were probably, I don't know, 13, 14 at the time. It, yeah. Great drumming on, you know, Message in a Bottle. I still think it's a dramatic mm. song. So um, mm. I know, but we, in England especially, I can't talk for Britain, well, I can't even talk for England, but there's something about hating people who have been successful, let's face it. Mm. We, we, we're very suspicious of, you know, the police, <laughs> Sting and U2 and Bono, mm. so... Um, but I, you know, I still think they do quite a good job. So was there a period within that? Because obviously you've had lots of personnel changes during the years and, and different moments. Was there ever kind of times when you really was sort of emotionally, spiritually struggling to keep it going when you just felt like, oh my God, I've got to sort of keep this going. I'm not even feeling it. The, you know, the band is slightly wanting to give it up and I'm not quite sure whether to bother myself. I mean, was, did you ever have any of those moments in the... No, no, because, because absolutely not. Because actually I'm the band and I just uh, ask people to play with me live. Right. Uh, and the, the, all the studio work is just done by me. So, uh, so it's very simple. I can't split up with myself <laughs> unless I become schizophrenic or... Uh, no, like I just do everything, and I, I. The reason why people go out of a band is most of the time they. Uh, I I live off my music, but uh, I don't put anyone on the payroll. So if people find themselves eventually a job they like or they they sick of touring, um, then they do something else. So this, this, uh, I always look first in my uh, of people I know as friends. Uh, so I'd like to work with friends, and the one. There's nothing worse than going on tour with people you don't like. So you have to like people. And if that's with friends, then it's great. But uh, also friends, they uh, sometimes uh, need to go and, and take a job or take some other work uh, and or some get babies and have to stay at home and all these things. So we, we're all getting older. So uh, that means also like the band gets older and some, it's a band thing is sometimes is also, yeah, yeah. 
20, 30 years old, if you're like that, or 40 now, but you know, that it's all fun, but uh, most people want to get them do something else. So far, yes. I'm uh, still very lucky with uh, the crew I have at the moment. So, yeah, most of them are over 20 years with the band now. So, yeah. Well, I, I sort of realized there's only a couple of articles. I've done, you know, a lot of interviews with indie pop bands and most, not all, but a lot have sort of had the period and then they've gone and done other things and then slowly come back to music. But it's been very much a small cottage industry, generally a sweeping statement. Whereas there's only a few artists, you know, like David Bowie, Lemmy from Motorhead, who've just said, right, music's going to mind my thing. There are others as well, but mm -hmm. let's just keep it simple. And they've just stuck to, you know, playing music and doing it like that. And so it is an impressive thing when I have met artists You've just said, no, that's that's what I've done. And there was another woman, I think, I don't know where she was born, but she now lives in Hamburg, Monica Muir, who said that she was in bands in the 80s and then mm -hmm. now writes music for various soundtracks and okay. games and things like yeah. that. And that's that, that's the way that she makes money. But, you know, it's yeah. like she's managed to sort of keep keep doing what she loves, but, you know, making mm -hmm. a career, not having to go and get a job in an office or become a teacher, yeah. as I find a lot of... Yeah. Jingly jangly indie bands have become English teachers at secondary modern schools, all schools. Good. Yeah. <laughs> I so know a few. <laughs> I know, that must be really difficult. Wanting to smack a kid, but you can't do that anymore. Um, you know, when you were doing your, you know, because you've done a quite a few covers, not loads, but you've done a quite a few covers mm. in your time. But, you know, you've come across a forest, which is the cure one. Is there... Um, have, have, you know, was that quite an easy choice to make? I mean, and did you sort of think we've got to do our own little kind of spin on this? I think I, I, I took this track because it's one of the first tracks um, of The Cure, or not, not that I knew of, but one of the tracks I always played in the, in the car when I was going on holiday. It gave me this kind of a holiday feeling somehow. It's like a good feeling. And... Uh, that song always stuck with me. I know most people are totally bored with this song because uh, they play it live for like over 15 minutes uh, from what I hear. And it's one of maybe a more obvious track, but I always wanted to like emulate like, you know, a few of these uh, bands and just to have fun actually. I actually started as fun, like I'll uh, record these bands. And in the end, it's like, oh yeah, just why not just dedicate uh, this album to bands who actually were inspiring to me when I was, uh, you know, like uh, in my uh, early 20s or yes. 19, yeah. And, and every artist loves to do a cover. I mean, David Bowie did pin-ups and most people yeah. have done that, that moment of covering them. So these were sort of the, the bands or the, uh, the songs that, that kind of had that resonated with you in some sort of deep and meaningful way. I, I could gone on and on and on, of course, because... <laughs> There's so many bands you actually, uh, I I actually like, but uh, I kept it with these uh, these these bands just to uh, keep things simple and 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 clear actually because the, these were all the the major names like uh, like Blue Monday for example was for me also very important because it's like the track I could actually dance to uh, in in a club for example you know it's like to me it was also something new and inspiring. Uh, for Klein of Zymox to, or even to write uh, a song like Stranger, which is like in that same kind of vein. Okay, never was successful as, as Blue Monday, but, uh, you know, it uh, was a great inspirator and so on. So each band has uh, some influence, uh, one or the other, yes. on me. Yeah. And Dave and Bowie's, you did Heroes, didn't you? 
I did Heroes and while this is the wind as well. Um, yeah, I've, I'd love to cover way more songs of Bowie, but yeah. I, yes, I absolutely. And did you ever, I mean, sort of as, as an artist, did you sort of ever go back and slightly do, I don't know, I would say revision, you know? I mean, people like Jim Steinman, did they ever sort of come into your consciousness as sort of a, a, a person? Because I know he wrote some phenomenally dramatic songs for Meatloaf and Bonnie Tyler, but also Sisters of Mercy as well, more. Mm. I just wondered, you know, because because when you're younger, sometimes it's really easy, my God, it's easy, to dismiss kind of certain bands and people. And then afterwards, mm. you look back and think, actually, they weren't so bad, but I was a bit hung up and angsty. Did you ever mm. have those kind of moments where you've gone back and rediscovered an artist or a band or even a writer that you possibly dismissed earlier? Um, I think... The top of my head maybe Led Zeppelin uh, right. House of the, House of the Holy it's yes. like if I if I play certain tracks of those it's like they're really beautiful and it's like normally it's like not a band I would necessarily go back to I mean I but I know Led Zeppelin was also like uh, influence on me when I was uh, maybe 12 yeah like uh, trying to play guitar and these were the bands you listened to as well like Jimi Hendrix for example yes but but I never really look back on them them anymore until I find like so oh yeah maybe I'll ever listen to this House of the Holy because I could remember I really really liked that album and like actually surprisingly enough I st I still do most of the tracks here. Yes, well you know I mean there are some yes what the, I always found the image was kind of off putting really to be honest but I did. Yeah, think that's one of these odd things you in in life that uh, I mean but. Uh, I guess when I was like 11, that was like in the, the height of the early 70s, yeah? So that was, uh, everyone had long hair and these flare trousers. There was nothing really weird about it then, yeah? It's only later when you look back at them, like, well, come on. <laughs> you don't <laughs> want to be hippies like that anymore. No, you look ridiculous. And um, but anyway, that was the seventies. I mean, do you find that you're you're constantly sort of find you know picking up new audiences? I just wondered because you know young people love to find angst, you know like identify with with bands and they love finding you know people that you know they think no one else has found. I just wondered if you you're sort of finding your your sort of fan base has kind of increased a lot because I know you get these kind of I don't know rebellion punk festivals at Blackpool which all look a bit like old very old people who you know, lost mm. their hair and a bit sort of a bit wide around the waist and I just wondered if with you you've found an, a sort of a new audience of younger people who are looking for sort of identity and somebody to to latch on to I think it's uh well certainly in Europe uh, or America the club going people are there, like around between 20 and 30 most of them like you know, of course you have also all the people it doesn't really matter but the point is like i think also our audience our expansive of audiences like bands who uh, listen to clenosimics for example reinterpret that kind of dark wave make their own bands and uh, get their audience and their audience maybe didn't know about us but they get reintroduced by them uh to us so it kind of is a vicious circle as well it's like almost like recycling in that uh, in that way yes in a, in a good groovy way now yeah. you've got you know it'll be pretty soon that you'll be having your 40th anniversary 
I've done my maths right. Have you got any plans <laughs> for touring or celebrating this kind of incredible kind of life's work? Uh, if we ever allowed back into the clubs, and if the clubs are still there, then I, I should hope we can uh, continue touring. Uh, at the moment, we uh, set up again an, an American tour for 2022, and all the other shows, uh, I keep on pushing shows back into the years. So it's like now, like uh, we were thinking in, in 2021, at least in March, you could start shows again. All these shows are already pushed away till 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 october november or yes. even a year further you know like so it's it's very hard to say now what's what's going to happen i mean in england i've seen on the tv with all the people being jabbed and all um the life will soon be back to kind of normal it was declared by boris johnson i think on the first of june yeah we believe it. um in the, yeah exactly that that's the whole topic but I'm not going into it. Um, <laughs> in, in Germany, in Germany, uh, they are. To me, it sounds like the almost directionless. It's like the, they just say, "Well, we stay in lockdown until the incident numbers are going down," without any thoughts or without any intelligent advice. There's there's no there's no one with an intelligent uh, solution or, or approach. So. At least if you have, not that Boris Johnson is intelligent, I would far dispute that, but at least he has a, gives people a point and a promise, yeah? A year. Yes. There's no point, no appointment, no promise, no nothing. We are like in the dark, plodding on and on. And here we get like close to uh, like spring and uh, they're actually lucky. It's very cold in in, in uh Europe at the moment, so the people would otherwise go to terraces, possibly revolt even more than they did at the first of May. Yes. So I, I, th I think the the revolt is sooner than later. I think if they keep going on like this, but they're lucky now because the weather is nice uh, or not nice. Yeah. Um, but with nicer weather, but everyone wants to go out, sit on the terrace, and be normal again because uh, you know. Let's face it, uh, we've, we've seen all the numbers, we've seen everything, we read a, a lot of reports about everything, and we, we can come to our own conclusions that, you know, like, uh, that they can do it all a bit better than they are doing. Yeah, well, I think we lucked out, lucked out because we just, they just got big on the jab, you know, on the vaccine, and that seems to mm. have sort of kind of worked everything else has been completely track and trace and all the you know lockdown for three weeks and then another three weeks was just all a bit like I suppose it you know they'd never had that experience before but it was all a bit hopeless and then it was like my god we've lucked out on this I mean there was no intelligent thought going on it was just like oh actually this one this seems to be working hurrah for us but I mean mm -hmm. you know we still got you know phenomenal death rate but um yeah it's not good is it so hopefully you'll be touring i mean just kind of a last mm -hmm. thing i mean if you if you could have said something to a, a a younger self starting out you know the 16 to 18 year old self and you thought you know with the wisdom and the decades of experience you've had is there anything that you would have just like gone god i wish someone had just whispered that in my ear just you know you probably would have done everything the same but there's probably a <laughs> thought my God, I wish I had just paid attention to that or done that or not done this. I just wondered my, if there was anything that comes to mind. My experience is always um, people give good advice. No one will listen to it anyway. Um, <laughs> just remember, like, you give your, your best friend advice. Don't do this or that because so, so, so. 
and he totally agrees, but does the opposite anyway. And um, I, th- I think advice is like just do whatever you want because uh, life is short, or life is could be beautiful if you do the things uh, when you follow your heart and and your dreams. So, you never know. Like, uh, look, for example, to Billie Eilish, <laughs> for for that matter, like a brother and and a young girl sitting at home making music and uh, getting uh, noticed. Uh, they would never expect that they would be as big as they are now. So it's like if someone would say, "Well, forget about it. No one gets signed anymore with with uh, home recorded music." Then you know, they possibly would have not. Uh, entered that that stage so i think uh, anyone would do best is just to to follow their heart and make music uh, they like and if you like your music there might be other people liking it the same so yes. well, that's no, all like, i would beg for but be, be aware is... be aware that you are considered for now as a musician as non-essential so Yes, it's yes. a sad thought, isn't it? But did, exactly. you, did you watch the Biddy Eilish film, by the way? No, no. Right. I, I, I never even knew her, but I, my daughter is nine, nine years old, yeah? so she goes to school and she says, do you know Billy Eilish? So said, no, 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 it's not Billy Eilish, it's Billy Idol. No, it's Billy Eilish. <laughs> no, no, you're totally wrong. Yeah, I'll Google it for you. Here, Billy Eilish, uh, Billy Idol, uh, show the, like, no, you're totally wrong, Dad. It's a girl. What do you mean a girl? And then there, you started then singing. I, you started singing "White Wedding," didn't you? And she just shook her head. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the way I got to know about it because I don't really, I don't listen to the radio or I just don't go looking for the most popular thing there. So yeah, uh, so yeah, I was like the typical father who doesn't know anything. <laughs> I know the embarrassing father who's oh god they're going to start dancing only only alternative music yeah I mean would you I mean I just thought you know with having seen the film because I was kind of curious because I didn't get you know Mm. the sound or anything I just wondered if if places like Coachella have you ever sort of played those kind of festivals in America at all you know do you get those in actually we never played uh festivals as far as I could uh, only the um what was the game? Oh, there was one gothic festival in, in America. Uh, that's that's probably played in Vampire. Yeah, okay. So a few festivals we did play, but uh, mainly we just tour like with a and take like a few support acts uh, on on the road, and then we just uh, tour like uh, for three weeks maximum, and then we go back and then come back later for the second leg. So that's that's what I like the most. Months on, on non-stop on tour in, in America is not my uh, my thing either. So no, three weeks I think, is I think fine. The only person who can do that is Robert Smith from The Cure, who seems to be quite extraordinary when he's touring, because he mm. just he, he does put the work in. Did you manage to just lastly? Did you manage to sort of navigate that world of kind of publishing and ownership of music? Because you've got this phenomenal body of work. I just wondered if mm. you if you feel like, phew, that was lucky. We we did well, or oh, that wasn't that brilliant. Well, you know, like I, th- I think each release uh, to me is important in the, for my own personal. In, you know, it's my history. It's my like picture book. It's like it would be the same if you uh, tear out a few years out of your picture book uh, because you didn't like your puberty or whatever. But it's essential for your character building. Same goes with making music. That album uh, was important to make because it made you going into. The next album and the next and so on 
you know, yes. like it's a creative process. And I think you can't say I should not have done that one. You can't say it because you, you need to do that in order to be the person you are now. Um, maybe, yeah, I, I can't say what person I would have been, say, in uh, the 90s. And we would have had that gazillion uh, record sales and uh, you'd be totally in, in a different scene you i would be total different person i'm sure of it so i'm i'm personally i'm happy i'm where i am now it's like this this feels more real and close to me than than anything else yes absolutely and did you i mean also did did you do did you manage to sort of keep ownership of your music as well you know i just wondered if that was something. most of it most of it. it's like i could f- ask 4AD, for example. I know like after 30 years, you could uh, get your rights back, but I, I don't see the point because the 4AD is a good label. I, why not stick? They can, I could stick with them. doesn't matter. Yes. Uh, most, most all the labels I got, uh, yeah, I have my own label, Simox Control, and that's, I just license uh, records to uh, other labels. And uh, from there on, I actually kept on licensing out instead of being signed as an artist so i just did the licensing so it gives me more freedom to say well this label can release say in america and this label can release in germany leaves me still other territories uh which which i might think uh, there's a good label for for the band and so on yeah so in that way i i control it a bit more than as just being an artist and just kind of last, lastly, did, are you going to sort of try and form some sort of an interest in archive, you know, because obviously when you're doing all this work, I know you've still got decades to go, hopefully, but um, <laughs> I just wondered if you're, you know, you're thinking, God, we've got a lot of A material, we've got a lot of kind of memorabilia, we've got videos. I just wonder if there's any way that you're thinking how you would like to try and, you know, sort of put some sense to it, whether it's a book or slight film or, or some, you know, interactive website. Maybe with the next corona crisis. Yeah, we'll have more time. (laughs) (laughs) Go for the next plan, yeah. Yes, no, I just wondered, because obviously it's quite, you know, know, when you start, you never think 40 years' time you'll still be doing it. You might have been, but I don't know. But, you know, we've got this body of work. I'm now working very enthusiastically towards the release of this new album. So I have some work to do for, like, videos and... uh, the single release and uh, make sure that everyone uh, gives the re- remixes on time and things like that. So I think I'll be busy till July just with, with uh, the releases and the recordings. And uh, after that, I really, really hope that we can go on uh, on uh, doing shows again. Uh, it's summer. There are open air uh, festivals or there are a lot of organizers with uh, capacity for open air so uh, my hope is that we can actually at least at that time do something like again we did it last year in 2020 as well like in a, we had a period from august till uh, october three months uh, we could uh, actually tour again but these were also like very odd tours or limited editions uh, yes. basically but at least you could do something you could still feel a bit uh, normal in that sense like yeah um, well, we've and, got yeah. you know, at the weekend. I think Liverpool decided to go full on to a nightclub. So, I think <laughs> they're just going to they're just going to see what the effect is. They're just going to ignore it and say, "What the hell? They're young people. They don't care." And I think that after that, it's going to be just you know. I think first of September is like university schools. 
you know, it's like, let's go back to... Yeah, but it's, it's interesting that you mentioned, because in uh, Leipzig, we had uh, also uh, last year these experiments in the, in, the, in the arena with like three, yeah, 3,000 people, 4,000, and under different conditions. And the report would come later after analyzing it. And in the end, it was like, yeah, with all three methods, nothing happens, really. So basically, and you had these uh, experiments everywhere in the world, with all this knowledge, nothing uh, worked. Uh, politicians didn't listen to it. It's okay. Uh, it was almost placebo. Yeah, you do your little experiment and it keeps you busy for a while. But overall in the world, nothing happened in these uh, clubs. So why not uh, try to expand on that and give at least people a bit of, uh, of humanity back in that way? Uh, yes. especially uh, look at the patients who actually do get into the hospital are not the regular concert goers are they now no no we we killed them off in the care homes actually that's the unfortunate thing exactly <laughs> like, that, that's that's a good point because those were the ones they had to protect and they never did that, no, that's, this is that's, true. that's going to be uh, the, the contour I'm sure uh, when you get the film <laughs> that would be the first thing Yes, but I mean, you know, I don't know. I think young people are fine. They're immune to it also. Um, anyway, look. Anyway, look, I'm really, you know, looking forward to it. So the album, just briefly, the album's coming out, did you say, on the... In, in July is the plan. This is the plan. It'll be, it'll be good. But look, this has been great. Well, thank yeah. you ever so much for giving me the time for this. And um, yes, if you want, I can give yeah. you the link if you, and, and you can post it wherever you want. Ab absolutely, David. So this would be good. Give me the link, yeah. And we'll do it. Let's make that happen. But anyway, look, have a great week. And um, thanks again for this. This has been amazing. Thank you too. And take care. And hopefully yes, you I'll have your freedom in June. <laughs> I know. Like Actually, Boris says. Boris, I know. We trust him. <laughs> yeah. Don't trust, but I don't. He doesn't care. He's just worried about his wallpaper, really, isn't he? Let's face it. True, expensive true. wallpaper he has. Anyway, look, take care That's and have fun. a nice evening. Bye-bye. 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 Take care. Right, that is the end of the interview. I know I could edit that out, but it always makes me smile and laugh. That's how you just come to a snappy end. Or not. Anyway, look. A massive thank you to Ronnie Morins for giving me the uh, time for that interview. This has been David Eastall, The C86 Show. If you want to, um, yes, if you want to find, find out more about the band, you can Google, just Google away, go through your search engines and all that groovy stuff. Anyway, it's all out there on, I think they've on, got a website and Facebook and all that other stuff. If you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just do C86 Show. And um, yes, make it nice and positive. You know, if it's not, then... Frankly, why bother? And um, all these shows have been archived. You can find those on Spotify, iTunes and Podbean. That's it. That's all I've got to say. Have a great week. Stay safe.